1: Welcome to the mouth of manliness and um, just need a couple of shout outs to my producer Worgy Productions for all of his hard work that he does for me and then I want to do a big shout out to Nicole Knights who's been saying some lovely things about the podcast recently and uh, it's really kind of put wind in my sails, it's been brilliant and today our guest is Ashley Lodge, now uh, welcome Ashley, thanks for coming on.
0: Well, thank you very much. Thank you for, for having me. And I'm also a big uh, shout out from my end to to our mutual friend, Mark Keeble, who uh, who did the introductions for all of this.
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, uh, me and Mark, like for quite a long time, a year, maybe two years, tended to be together at work all the time. And yeah. we would be driving around in a van with loads of like, oiks in the back. And then we'd be <laughs> <laughs> Me and Mark just kind of sorting our lives out as, as we go along and talk. Like, we would have the most kind of open conversations. It's pretty amazing, but we i get on really well with them. And He's a brilliant guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the world of Mark. And, um, and yeah, you've obviously been friends with Mark for years and years ago a long long
0: time we were at school together we were at school together but oh, we became friends probably really after school and, and we've got we've got quite close over the last few years actually so uh yeah and he said about your podcast and i had a listen, and he said um yeah get in touch with nick because i think nick would be really interested to find out a bit more about mindfulness and here we are today
1: well yeah exactly exactly i mean he, he obviously you know spoke about you like you know glowingly, and then he was saying, and I didn't even have to pay him,
0: didn't even have to pay him
1: for that. <laughs> no, no, and then he was saying, like, oh yeah, maybe you should get him on, and I'm like, well yeah, of course, you know, like I'm, I, I'm up for having anyone on for a good chat, really, and uh, uh. as I was kind of saying before, is that uh, I talk quite a bit, I touch on mindfulness all the time, and um, I've done elements of mindfulness myself, mm. uh, and... Some bits have really stuck to me, um, and I, I find with the, what, thir- like in this season, like I've done like 30 conversations just like since lockdown, and um, wow, a lot of people kind of, what's funny is a lot of people kind of go, oh yeah, mindfulness isn't for me, and then, then they'll say something, and I'll be like, that's mindfulness. You know? Yeah, like, it's just
0: yeah, 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 it's true, it's true.
1: I'm um, like you, you, you're doing it. Uh, it's just mindfulness is kind of put a label on it a little bit, and then mm-hmm. get uncomfortable. And it's like, well, if something helps you, it helps you. You know, yeah. It matter. So, what what do you do now, then, Ashley? What is is? Do you tell me what you do now?
0: So I have. So I work for a, a very big educational publisher, and I oversee all of their mindfulness programs. So I've been. I've been into mindfulness now. It's been about seven years, to be honest. What what got me into it and how I've got into the role I'm doing today, because I have two kind of roles. I have a role for this, this big kind of multinational education company, and I also run my own kind of mindfulness and coaching consultancy, which I kind of do evenings and weekends and, and around my day job. And I suppose what got me into it was my big thing, if you're talking about you know on the mental health side, is, has always been anxiety. Anxiety has been the bane of my life. It has been—it has been that little Maggie voice that's been in the back of my head that puts that gets that fear going about about anything really. And uh, my mum and dad are both warriors. And much as I love them to, to, to bits, you can see that we've got that whole nature nurture thing from from there. And much as I love them very much, So I think we we've got a natural disposition to be anxious. My brother and sister are fairly similar to me. Um, don't worry, Mum and Dad, if you're listening, I'm not blaming you for that. I'm just saying that we are generally a bit more of a
1: you can't even continue it. Like when you're growing up, if you're around anxious people, you're going to pick up a bit of anxiety. You're
0: gonna pick yeah, and you know it is that whole nature nurture argument. So I think we've always had it there, and we've all, you know, and I've talked a lot to my my brother and sister about it, and we all identified. I think because we're we're open about it and we talk about it, I think that is such a good thing. Um so for me it all kind of what took me from being quite anxious and what took me towards mindfulness was when i it started off with a conversation actually at the doctors i went to see the doctor because i was fed up of just having these bouts of anxiety that would really impact my sleep my i mean i've had insomnia on and off since i was a teenager and and then as a result of having being sleep deprived i would then get low mood and i get into these cycles of worrying about stuff lack of sleep and lack of sleep, would then lead to low mood. And I thought, how am I going to break out of this? And I had a bit of a bad episode in 2013, and I went to see my GP to talk about it. Um, and he said, look, what, what do you want to do about this? He said, we've got different ways we can tackle it. He said, I can either give you um, like Prozac-style drugs, like Ciroxac or something, yeah. that would be quite good, that might help you know your insomnia and might also help you with with kind of mood when that hits and, and mitigate the anxiety. But I'd said to him, I'd tried them before um, in the past, and I'd never really got on with them. They, they'd never worked with me. The first month I'd ever tried those kind of things, i only tried them once or twice, I never, never really got on with them. So I, I said to him, I want to see if there's alternative therapies or techniques I could try before I have to go down the medicinal route. Now, I know for a lot of people they work brilliantly, but for me, I never really got on with them. He said, well, he said, have you heard of this thing called mindfulness? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, why don't you get the book off the off the course? And it's called, and look, this is the book here, because I know we're recording the video of it, but it's called Mindfulness, um, A Practical Guide to Finding Peace in a Frantic World. Yeah, I've got that. And, you know, and this is, to my mind, this is the Bible of mindfulness. And I read it. I started reading it. And it's like any of these self-help books. It's good to start off with, but then you get to a certain point on a self-help course where you're doing the work yourself and you encounter a bit of difficulty and something comes up you stop all your good work and practice and then you're a bit like oh yeah well that didn't work stop that that's so
1: true like that's so true you know even if going and having therapy you kind of it's all la 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 la, and then you hit a point when you're like you hit difficulty
0: yeah yeah exactly it's, it's hard doing these things on your own it's hard doing it on your own anyway now luck was on my side because the other big thing that was going on for me health-wise is I've had this condition, it's a bit like Crohn's disease called Ulcerative Colitis. It's an autoimmune condition, and one that had to be managed on meds, but I noticed whenever I'd get quite stressed, there'd be a correlation between stress and a flare-up of that. Wow. Now he, I, I don't know how it happened, I think I was going to see someone through my local mind who, you know, you can go to your GP and get help through local kind of agent agencies, okay. And mine had this thing where they said, look, yeah, we can help do some CBT around your anxiety. And I thought, great. And I was doing some great work with a, a clinical psychologist around CBT for managing anxiety. And then she said, Ash, uh, she said, I think you would clarify, uh, you'd qualify for this funding that the NHS are putting out there for people that have got long term medical conditions like Crohn's or, or colitis, whatever. And... Um, and people who've got anxiety or or low mood or something like that to see if we can help the mental uh, health aspects of dealing with long-term medical conditions. So anyway, to cut a long story short, I got on the the Oxford Mindfulness Centre 8-week MBCT course, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy course. Now, this course is like gold dust. Oxford University have the, the Oxford Mindfulness Centre, which was, was founded a few years ago now by this brilliant guy called Mark Williams. He'd done all this really pioneering work. He was a psychologist, and he got together with some others and was looking at how they could come up, they could fuse cognitive behavioural therapy, which is the dominant kind of you know talking therapy for people dealing with depression, but f- infuse it with a bit of, kind of tech, the kind of techniques you get from Buddhism. And a lot of this work had originally been pioneered in America by a brilliant guy called Jon Kabat-Zinn. And he, if you like, is the founder of Mindfulness in the West. He started in the late 70s, early 80s, a stress reduction clinic in America over in Boston. And he was looking to see if he could help people with long-term pain conditions, uh, basically use meditative techniques to help have a different relationship with pain that would allow them to maybe have to take less painkillers and analgesics and other kind of long-term, quite full-on drugs. So this bunch of psychologists saw his brilliant work and said, what if we could take some of this brilliant work and adapt it for people dealing with depression? And basically, they formulated what's called MBCT, and they have found, they did a massive study back in, I think it was around 2007, something like that, and it compared Prozac-style drugs to... Mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for people with relapsing depression, and found it just as effective. And this is when mindfulness—when this is when mindfulness suddenly went went wild. Everyone was like, "What's this mindfulness stuff?" It was in the news. It was so. It was on social media. It was in the papers. It was everywhere. And so I kind of heard of it, but I was a bit like, "What is it exactly?" So got on that course that was offered at the Oxford Mindfulness Centre, and it was eight weeks. And my business were very kind. They let me. They released me to go and do this mindfulness course one one morning a week every Wednesday we would get together for two hours yeah. and there was a group of about 15 of us from all different walks of life um, and, and it was a really interesting group and and we would go along and they would teach us the techniques and we'd have discussions about them and and I was a bit of a sit I was a bit of a cynic having tried it in the book and got to about week three and throwing in the towel. I was a bit like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. But I'll go in with a sense of openness. They just said, give it a go. Give it a go. So I did it. And little by little, I noticed that there was these really subtle changes. You know, I was doing these this body and breath practice. And the mind would wonder, but you'd keep bringing it back. And sometimes it felt like, oh, you know, am I making any progress here? Is this working? Because I was just, you know. And they said, but don't worry. That is, every time your mind wanders and you bring it back, that is mindfulness. And I went, okay, perhaps. Yeah, and it was just by doing the practice. It was a bit like going to the gym. I'm a recent convert to gym. I was, I to gyms, I was a real big refusing. I thought, no, I never need to go near a gym. But then I lost the weight, lost a good amount of weight in the swimming world. And then my mate said, well, you could tone up if you've got a PT. So in the last year or so, I got PT. and doing mindfulness is a bit like going to the gym, except going to the gym for your brain. Yep. And you know, when I go and see my PT, he will know whether I've been and done those three other sessions in between my session with him. Cause he'll know how much I can lift and whether I've been buffing up my biceps. There's still a work in progress. I won't strip off to show you uh, the, the lack of progress on that front. Um, and I just thought it's very similar mindfulness. You've got to, you've you got to stick at it. Even when you think you're not making any progress, it's a bit like going to the gym when you lift that dumbbell and you are you, you feel that pain in your bicep, you know that you're tearing the muscle fibers and you're building muscle. Yeah. And what we know from mindfulness, because we can put people under magnetic resonance and imagery, and we can actually start to see now that mindfulness, we believe, is having this effect that it's rewiring the brain to move it away from the stressy bit of the brain, the limbic system in the middle around the amygdala, yeah. a bit associated with fight or flight the prefrontal cortex, a bit of the front of the brain, all concerned about karma wiser thinking. And, and for me, it was a bit like, oh, okay, perhaps, it, you know, that analogy really helped me. The penny started to drop at that moment. Then the shit hit the fan. In the middle of the course, the guy that I was in a relationship with that I thought I was going to settle down with and be with forever, turned around and said to me, I don't love you. And the bottom dropped out of my world, and I was just a—I was a wreck. And I went to the uh, the class, and we were dealing around week five or six of the course. There is this week called dealing with difficulty, and you're asked to bring a problem, and they call it onto the workbench of the mind. And can you imagine? So there you are. Now normally they all say start with a little problem, like it might be—I don't know. My plant, my, my garden, the lawn is the lawn is dying, or something. There's something silly, something in more insignificant. Of course, I couldn't. My mind was flooding, going, "Oh no, he's just he's told me he doesn't love me. He's not going to be there at my fourth. he's not going to be there at my sister's wedding, woe is me." And I would just sit and blub. But the group was so supportive and so kind, and they said, "You know what? Mindfulness is going to make is is going to uh, you know is going to bring you to the fore of those emotions." But but the invitation was to keep being okay with those difficult emotions. Yeah. And I, I stuck at it because I could have thrown it in the towel. I could have thrown it in the towel, but I thought, no, I'm so grateful to have got this free NHS place because it was a pilot study they were doing. Because I thought normally people pay three or 400 quid for that course. And I thought, I'm so grateful, I'm going to do it. Anyway, cut long story short, I finished the course. I got over the heartbreak. And it was my boss who'd sit beside me—a really, really lovely woman, Sarah—and she said to me, "Ashley, you know, I think that mindfulness is—it's—it's it's working with you." And I was going, "Really?" She said, "You are just so much calmer. You don't get wound up by things so much, and you—I just—I really do think it's had an impact on you—a positive impact on you." Yeah,
1: you. And I was it. like, "When someone else notices." like you're just getting on with it and then someone else will go you're doing really well you know and you're like am i
0: yes because and it's like, so ah. hard you know when you're there when you're there you can't see the wood for the trees
1: no no, no. it's um i like, i uh i start um i had uh, a course of uh, therapy with mine, and um initially they were like right we've got to do cbt because that's that's what we're paid to do and i'm like i used to do courses of CBT with people. And I was like, I don't think it's really going to cut it with me. For starters, I'm a mess. And secondly, like, I'm going to be second-guessing you all the time. So that was when the guy was like, okay, let's just do what works for you. Throw everything out the window. Have you heard of mindfulness? And um, and that was my introduction to it. Uh, and um, I don't, there's so many bits of it that I still hang on to. Um, but I think what I wanted to do was ask you a little bit more about, uh, so what did the course entail? Because it's not just meditation, is it? It's so much more than that. It's concepts, which I really like. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So the, the course it has got, I mean, the, the, the gold standard is normally an eight-week course. And each session, each two-hour session normally has a theme. And all the themes kind of build up one on the other. And all of this has been rigorously researched. That's what I like about it. It's got a huge basis. This has been through so many clinical trials. You know how many clinical trials drugs go through? Mindfulness has been through just as many, and that's what makes it so powerful to me. But So week one is something around um, coming off autopilot. And you start to consider how many things you do in autopilot. And, and what they're telling you about is there's different component bits. So when you go in, they say to you, right, look, we're going to tell you that these, the, the psychological education bit, there's always a bit where they talk to you about the, the theory, the psychology. Yeah, I like that. And yeah, I get it. And it's good because I think we all want to understand, if you've dealt with anxiety or depression, you want to understand a bit more about how the brain works. There's going to be a good amount of psychology in it. And they say that there's these two modes of mind, doing mode and being mode. Doing mode does what it says on the tin. It gets things done. That's great. Most of our lives, we exist in doing mode because we're we are we're actually human doings rather than human beings most of the time, as I like to say. Mm. But mindfulness, the, the, what they've said here, what, what, what they teach in mindfulness is that it's a different way, a different mode of mind called being mode. And being mode it creates, if you like, a pause. Creates a pause where you just have a moment just to kind of fully be present to what is going on in the mind in the body really reconnecting with the body that was the first part of the journey of the eight-week course so the first week was about coming off autopilot how we do all these things and we've almost automated them just automatic reactions to situation automatic ways that we do things you know the way we commute but when you do things in that way all the time you don't live this life in technical you live it in shades of gray yeah so it gives that invitation. We did this silly exercise called eating a raisin mindfully. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's quite a funny exercise. You're given a raisin. Now, most people would just get the raisin and shove it straight in their mouth. But this time you have to take it and go through all five senses to really engage with the raisin. And it's a really silly exercise. But when you do it, you start to think, oh, this is what it means to really be mindful, to really engage with all my senses, to really taste this silly little raisin in my hand. And then week two, you start to look at moving from how we kind of start to analyze everything. Now, analyzing like work situations and spreadsheets is fine. When you analyze your uh, emotions and issues, then you become like the, the Woody Allen character that's always talking to a shrink, going analysis paralysis.
1: Yeah,
0: and it's true. You go round and round and don't get any further. Yeah. So we start to learn to sense more in our bodies, and when you set, we use the body as a radar to say. Ooh, what am I sensing going on here? You know, think about all the expressions we have in the English language, I had a lump in my throat, I, my heart skipped a beat. I have butterflies in my tummy. Mm-hmm. When you come back to your body more, you can sense these things sooner rather than later. So that's a really good way of actually getting in touch with your emotions almost before they might become present to your mind. Week three is about um, moving away from striving to accepting. To say sometimes it's okay to accept where we are right here and now, even if we're in the smelly stuff. And that's been a real learning curve for me going through COVID.
1: That's uh, um, I, I go on about acceptance all the time. It's like oh. just like accept the situation, you can't do anything about a lot of things. Can't do anything about most things. Accept it as it is and stop fighting it. You know
0: exactly. And then life flows when you do that. I'm such a big advocate of that.
1: Yeah, I think I've heard
0: that in one of your other podcasts I listened to. And, it, and, I, and I thought, yes, I get that. You know, when you move to acceptance, that doesn't mean that in life you might strive to have certain, you know, certain aspirations, but it's important to say it's okay to be here right now and to feel the way I am. It's okay to be like that. It's not going to last forever. Yeah. And that's quite empowering when that happens. That's quite nice when that happens. And then week four is about how you move away from seeing your own thoughts as objective To seeing your thoughts as being highly subjective. And we get to do a silly exercise. I get people to imagine they're walking down a street, they wave to their mate, their mate doesn't wave back, and then they go, they come up with a story. And the story can be, oh no, what have I done wrong? Why is he not why is he not he's ignoring me? What have I done? Other times it might be, oh yeah, he's as blind as a bat, just ignore it and carry on. But the mind steps in with a story that could be a load of old baloney to rationalise it. And so we get people to start standing back from their their thoughts. Week five is about dealing with difficulty. So we start to, like I was saying, take a small problem and look at how we might get those automatic reactions in our body and see if we can take, if you like, a mental step towards it and be okay to approach sometimes problems rather than avoid them. But we also be careful what kind of problem you, you choose when you're experimenting with this don't go for global peace or how we might solve the Trump problem in an era or something like that, you know? Um, exactly. So, so um, and then week, week six, we start to, so that takes to week five. And then week six, we're kind of starting to look at um, what we might want to do with kind of moving into the next bit of our lives and how we might, we, we do kind of get people to make lists all about the kind of, stuff they do on a daily or weekly basis um to kind of yeah what are this, what's the stuff they do on a daily or weekly basis and to get them to label it all and say are these actions nourishing or depleting and when you do it in a class it can be really quite eye opening because people might do a whole list of things but go depleting 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 and so we give them the invitation to say what are you doing that could be more nourishing what are the things that you're not doing anymore that are nourishing things for you I get a lot of people who are parents uh, come to the class and they say, oh, you know, bathing the kids is so depleting, they're so stressful, they give me so much aggro. And then other people in the class might say, oh, but I really enjoy having fun with my kids in the bath and, that's, and so it's changing it from, nourishing to depl- from, from depleting to nourishing and making sure you get that balance of stuff. And then in the last two weeks of the, big, the eight-week course, because um, normally I just teach a six-week course. It is around pulling all of those themes together, pulling all those themes together to look at what can I take going forwards, what can I take and do going forwards that will that will make a difference. What can I what can I start to use differently? You know, what techniques have I learned? Because for each of the weeks of the course, whether it's normally I teach a six-week more condensed course in the workplace and it's an hour a week, because doing the full eight-week two hours a week. In the workplaces, can be you know can be quite a big commitment that everyone can make, and we're encouraged to do. For each of those weeks, we, we talk about the psychology. We talk about how mindfulness can help us shift, and we talked about each of those different shifts. And one of the underlying themes is coming back from how we might have lived. We, we often relive things in the past or pre-live things in the future. We never actually live in the sodding present moment. Because we're too busy worrying about the past or getting
1: your... what is it? It's like if you're thinking about the past, it's depression, and if you're thinking about the future, it's anxiety. Yes, and, uh, yes, and both of those things are not helpful. Uh, you know, like I, my thing is always try and be more present. Try not, and I, I, you know, you're saying when you do things a lot, you do it a lot, and eventually it becomes the norm rather than the old ways are the norm. Yeah, and, uh, and it's funny everything everything you just said there actually like all, the whole stages really. Um, I guess I'm quite I, I'm I'm a pra- you know I practice mindfulness um, quite a lot. Then I didn't really think about it, but they, a lot of them are kind of. um they're uh, they're deep truths, aren't they? The things that you're saying and you're describing, they're they're uh, they're kind of really true concepts. And, uh... Oh,
0: absolutely! All of it's ground, cra- you know. And we call them the seven, and so we group those seven sets of behaviours, those seven, seven characteristics, and we say the seven characteristics of doing mode of mind. And for each one of them, there's there's the opposite doing mode of mind. So you go from autopilot to conscious choice from sense from analysing to sensing and so on and so forth over that, that those those weeks that I described. And then what you learn, what they teach you, is a formal practice, also called a meditation, because some people have a bit of an issue with the M word. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some people have this big, they think when you're going to do meditation, you're going to go all cross-legged, there's going to be a big guru with a white flowy bin a white, in a big white robe, a, you know... A burning joss sticks and it's like going no you can go to those places where you've got that if that floats your boat absolutely but in a more clinical setting or in a more workplace setting that wouldn't really cut the mustard so you know we call it practice and we teach practices that are related to those themes and in week one we do well we do a simple bit of everyday mindfulness the, the the raisin practice that i said to you but the formal practice we do is body and breath and those of you like the Two key anchors of a mindfulness course to my mind. That just coming back to the breath, you know, breath is fundamental. And we don't breathe, we know we're we're not long for this world. We can go a certain amount of time without food, certain amount of time about water, not very long without breath. Yep. And so we get people just to come back to the breath. Now for some people that's a bit like, oh, even just trying to get them to focus on their breath can cause a bit of stress. Yeah. We say to them, look, we're not getting used to breathe differently. We want you to breathe exactly as you do normally, but all we want you to do is to shift the focus of attention to feel the sensations, so the sensations of the air coming in through the nostrils, traveling down into the lungs, lungs and abs are expanding, and then contracting as the breath comes back up and out through the nose or mouth. And you do that, and, you, and they say, your mind's going to wander. That's what a mind does. That's absolutely cool. Don't beat yourself up when your mind wanders. You awaken to the fact your mind had wandered, from focusing on the breath, and you just bring it back, Yeah, and you bring it back.
1: And the thing, you can do that sitting at your desk. If, you've had Absolutely. A, if you're like, if you're really feeling stressed out, you can just do that in a few minutes, you know? Oh, like yeah. Even that just breathing and like, just recognising the breathing, you know, it's, it really doesn't need to be like, I mean, obviously if you do more than that, it's much more beneficial, but... Um, I think people do. They just see it as being this kind of real hippie thing that they can't possibly do. And I've tried lots of, lots of different meditations. I tried transcendental meditation, and I really struggle with it. Um, what I do do though is, if I'm feeling stressed out, I um, try. I just try and make myself more present. So it might be something as simple as just um, noticing the sky. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that's what we call. Yeah, and that's what we call, we call uh, that, that kind of practice, we would call everyday or informal kind of mindfulness. And it's absolutely key. And it will be anything where you're in the moment, whether it's playing a musical instrument, whether it's listening to music, whether it's cooking your dinner, whether it's going for a walk. All of that's that kind of informal, everyday mindfulness. And one of my key anchors during COVID, during lockdown, was getting out of my bike. Because when I'm out of my bike, I'm just there bombing along the country roads and I'm just, I just connect with nature and it's just like there's nothing else that can – and that for me is just brilliant. But equally, each of the weeks we get, dif- we get taught a different formal practice and that's body and breath. Then you move into kind of body scan where you lay down on the floor of your bed and you literally start kind of somewhere like your feet and you work your way up. That's, almost, that's a great one, especially, you know, what happens is I always say to my class, don't do it during when, when you're about to go to bed because you'll fall asleep. Yeah. And although relaxation is a nice side effect, it's not, it's not the goal of mindfulness, if you like. The goal of mindfulness is, is, almost, is, is just to be fully present and to feel those sensations in the body. And, you know, for each of the weeks, and then we go, we do week three is around mindful movement, a bit of basic yoga. A lot of people are thrown by that. They don't think that you need know, to be doing any yoga in a mindful, It's basic stretches because it's good about sometimes when we strive for our lives to be a certain way, we might strive that we want our bodies to be live and supple and to do all these things we might have done when we were younger. But sadly, when you get to, I, I'm in the phase of my life, I call you late youth. I do not call it, I'm in my mid-40s, I call it late youth. Right. I do not want to call it encroaching on what might be perceived by some as middle age. That is not happening to 50 at the very earliest. Um, let's not go over my hang-ups about age now that's different podcast different time right, yeah. Um, so yeah and you go through these different sets of practices and you the invitation is you practice you do that every day for a week and at the end of the, eight, the six or the eight week course you're given a toolkit of all these different techniques as well as all the different psychology all the different kind of practices and the knowledge and understanding of why we do what we do and I say that's your toolkit When we bring it all together at the end, we say, That's your toolkit. And you can now know, you'll get a sense of maybe when you're getting really stressed, you've had a real emotional interaction with someone. Do what we call the three step breathing space. It's it's, it's just like you said, Nick. It starts off with the breath, and you might just be sitting in your seat, and you might just sit upright to change your posture a bit more. Focus in on the breath. Just ground yourself with the breath coming and going. That's a really simple. Simple technique that anyone can do in the three-step breathing space. We, we, we take that and make it part of it the first step is we say What's the weather pattern like in the mind right now to use your analogy about the sky? And you know, is, is the sky out nice and blue? Is it calm? Are there loads of clouds moving around like the thoughts or is there a tempest blowing in? There's no judgment about how whether it's right or wrong. There just is the acceptance of what's going on in the mind because not judging is a key, is one of the key concepts we look at in mindfulness. And I'll get, I'll pause on that, I'll get back to my minute. Yeah,
1: that's an interesting one, that one.
0: Then we move to the second bit of it, uh, the second bit of the practice, is we, we then stop the, the scanning the mind like a radar, seeing whether thoughts occur like blips or like clouds moving in the sky. And we move to step two, which is the focused attention on the breath, coming in and out. Because that provides that stop of the mind starting to try to analyse the brain too much. Yeah move to the breath and then step three you open it out you open out the awareness through the body through the lower half of the body and the upper half of the body just to say oh what's going on in the body right now where might i be holding some subtle stress and tension i might not be aware of and then and then when you come out of it you you, you do just feel that you've got that pause you've just got that kind of moment of clarity that moment of balance And then you can decide how do you want to respond to that really stressful email that someone sent you with lots of capitals and exclamation marks that you really just want to fire off a really (laughs) crappy response back. And then you can decide what's the wisest, calmest, best response for them and me. Or equally, you could do it before maybe you're going into a difficult conversation with a a loved one or a work colleague or something. Again, it it helps de-emotionalize things that allows us to have better nicer conversations with all that fiery emotion that comes once we get stressed or anxious and that limbic bit of the brain the amygdala in the middle fires off and you get all of that cortisol and adrenaline pumping around your body
1: part of your brain is going right protect protect attack (laughs) yeah
0: exactly the fight or flight the fight or flight response gets
1: triggered yeah you just pull it in you go right just bring it right into here and stop thinking about all of that for a moment give your brain a little moment. Yeah. And then, like, it, yeah, it's like, you're not... In that moment, if you're thinking about your breathing, you're thinking about your body, you're thinking about those things rather than thinking about how angry you are with that person. Yeah. Um, and it just pulls you in. And then you go, ah, actually, it doesn't really matter. You yeah. know, I yeah. really believe in that. I really think it works.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, for, for me... You know, when I look at, you know, when I look at my own journey and the difference it's made, but when I look, so set the the course I teach at, at my current employer, there's 700 people have been through that. The majority of what I offer is a six week program. So it's a slightly condensed version of what I was outlining earlier.
1: Yeah.
0: And we meet for six weeks, we meet for one hour a week and they get given a handout at the end of it. Uh, you know, I take them through the psychology, the neuroscience, We teach, I, I, I teach the practice, we, we do it together, we have a QA and a session. And there's as much support from the group sharing their own experiences as important as me teaching the techniques. And we go through that journey together and I get them to fill in a load of psychological forms like. GAD7 and anxiety scale, perceived stress scale, some of these other scales, before and after. And what we see, the aggregate results are giving us something like a picture that after a six-week course, anxiety reduces by 40%, perceived stress reduces by an average about 22%, and focus and attention increase by around 20 to 25%. And I've seen this replicated by cohort after cohort after cohort. And the reason we believe it's working is it calms down the stressy bit of brain, the the amygdala, that fires off, you know, the course on the adrenaline, the flight or fight response you were just talking about. But also it starts to build more neural activity in the prefrontal cortex, the bit that's associated with learning, memory, uh, emotional uh, regulation, cognitive flexibility, new and different ways to solve problems, resilience. And those are the two main kind of groups of people that come to me, people that, want to he- oh, better manage stress and anxiety and low mood or have a very scattered mind and want to bring it together and have you know more, a, a greater sense of kind of focus and attention and and for me working with all those people that i work with over the years now and seeing the difference it makes not just in terms of the hard data yeah. as well as all the academic research from all of the studies around uh, magnetic resonancing imagery but also just the anecdotal stories when i get these stories at the end like a guy phoned me up at the end of the course i i I, I ran earlier on in the year and he just said i just want to thank you it just has really really changed things for me and he said i didn't he just said but i stuck at it i did it and it really has made a difference for me and it's lovely it's lovely when you see people and he suffered really badly from anxiety and you get a whole range of students you get some people who have like the road to damascus conversion who are literally can't walk up and down the corridors, but they've seen the light. But I always say to my classes, that's probably the minority of people that come on the courses that have a, a, a life-changing experience like to, to that level.
1: Yeah.
0: I said to most people, you'll probably have something much more subtle. But I said the most important thing is you don't, you don't compare with anyone else. You're on your own journey. I said you're on your own journey. Don't compare, because when you get into comparison, you're doing that striving thing. Yep. Keeping up with the Joneses—that ain't going to help you. And then, and then people let that pressure off.
1: Did you? Um, so when people, uh, so you go to a workplace. Um, so is it voluntary? Like they—they're not like told, right? Come on, John, you're a miserable bastard. You <laughs> like, but like, like that's that's hard work, if that's the case.
0: No, mindfulness certainly not in my setting, and I don't think any of the settings. Good good practice guidelines would always say that people that come on the course elect to be on it. Now, their, their line manager in a work situation might recommend it to them, but no one should ever feel forced. And what I always try to do is I run a little sampler session. So I run a one-hour intro session first to do a lot of the outlining of what mindfulness is and um, and I, and I use the definition of Jon Kabat as in the guy I was telling you about, if you like, the guy that really made mindfulness popular in the West, to say it is just about effectively our, att- our attention and how we formulate our attention in a specific way. That is to say, in the present moment, non-judgmentally, And, and, and kind of letting go of anything else and just allowing yourself to kind of be fully in that moment. And that really kind of helps people. So I I talk a bit about that. I talk a bit about the, um, I talk a bit about the practice and I talk about the M word and I talk about everyday mindfulness and formal practice, give people a bit of a sampler. And then, and then most people say, okay, yeah, I get it now. And I'd like to give it a go but I try not to get, I don't want people just to sign up for the course without having some understanding of what it's about, because it is a commitment. You need to, you need to put in the work. And that's why I use the gym analogy. You've got to put in the work and effort. We know the daily practice of 10 minutes or so is enough to start that rewiring of the brain to move it away from the stressy bit.
1: People go into, I think the problem, like I come up against this quite regularly is that people, they'll, go into something like that and they'll be like okay fix me and then um or you go into therapy and you're like fix me or you have medication yeah. it's like right so why am i not better it's like because you have to work on yourself <laughs> you know you have to make the effort if you don't put the effort in no one can fix anyone doesn't yeah. even exist and like even medication won't fix you you know you still mm-hmm. want to put the effort in yeah and like, um, and it pays off it really does it's paid off with me i'm trying to think uh, uh, there's one thing i'm trying to remember that um the therapist who introduced me to mindfulness said about um you know like when uh you know bad thoughts or negative thoughts is that you you deal with them with compassion and empathy so um is that, does that sound about right? I, I can't. It was quite a while ago, but it was something that I really, really struggled with. Um, the concept of, you know, like if you're angry with your dad and you're like, you have to just kind of be compassionate to that anger and go, it's all right, you know. And, um, and it took me years to get it. And then I, one day it just clicked and I was like, ah, it's not like you're being, you're just not being angry with it. You know, mm. you just stop being angry with it. It's not like you, you're not going, oh, that's all okay. You're just going, it is what it is. I'm not going to be angry with it anymore. And then if, and suddenly, like, that was a revelation for me when that finally hit. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Suddenly the weight is just taken off your shoulders. It's like, no, it's okay to be angry. But, you know, it's you observe the anger. You know, yes, I, and- I feel angry. And I know, but I know why I feel angry. I can't listen. And that's so. Okay. It's okay.
0: Yeah, you know. And I think it's really important. To, I think you've hit on a really good point because I think the other thing that we're cultivating throughout a course of mindfulness, whether it be six or eight weeks or whatever, is we're just trying to focus those kind of um, attitudes, and they are kind of things like gratitude, um, curiosity, openness acceptance of, of, of kind of just, just allowing things to, to, to be and to see what comes up and it's okay that there's going to be times when you know when we are angry you know anger is a valid emotion there are things that happen in this life that are that when people's behavior to us isn't okay and it's, it's a perfectly valid response to be anger however if you then fall into constant anger about it and are constantly ruminating whatever, then you, you create a whole thing where it becomes a different beast and then you're consumed by it. So what mindfulness does is it allows us to say, I'm feeling anger at the moment and it's okay to feel that because there is some justification for it. But I'm aware about that. Now I'm angry. What am I going to do? What do I want to do? Do I want to continue being angry? Is that going to be a healthy, good option for me? probably not because it's probably going to fire a lot more cortisol and adrenaline into my system that's going to run my system ragged and predispose me to a high risk of a heart attack or something.
1: Uh, yeah. so it, allows
0: you to have that, it allows you to have that moment, that pause. To yeah. go, How do I learn to deal with my emotions?
1: That's exactly it. And that's, that's the important bit, I think. The fact is, you might be like going, oh, I'm angry, I'm angry, oh, I want to be angry. But if you've stopped for a moment and thought, right, I'm feeling angry now, what's going on, you know, like, what's going on inside Uh, and actually am I angry with them or am I angry with me, you know, Uh, and then uh, by having that inner dialogue, you've slowed it down, you know, just even just that doing that one bit, bored it down, you just step back from it just for a moment, and that means you're less likely to erupt.
0: And this is having that pause and this is having that mindful moment where you move out of doing mode where we're straight away, you know, oh, this has happened. This is the action, you know, action, reaction. What mindfulness says is wait, just pause, just put the brakes on a moment, have a moment to gather yourself, to anchor yourself in the present moment. And, you know, it could be a simple thing like just breathing, just sit in your chair and breathe. Another technique I had it weird. I go to CPD courses, you know, continuing professional development at Oxford University, which is just down the road from me here. I'm so grateful I can bomb down there on my, well, on my bike in 10 minutes, not at the moment, because it's all done virtually, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I had the great mindfulness teacher, Chris Cullen. And he said a very simple one. I think he teaches this, there's a big program called uh, Miss Mindfulness in Schools Project, And I think this is one that they use there as well. It's called Feet, Seat, Hands. And you just get people in their chair just to say a moment, right? have a moment, just feel your feet. And uh, you, get the, you, you get people just to kind of uh, wobble, uh, in a two, sorry, to, to wiggle their toes, just to feel their toes on the floor. Just say, what's going on your feet right now? Just bring the attention to the feet. And if there's nothing there, that's fine. And then move it to where you're sitting. What can you feel where you're sitting right now? Is the chair comfortable? You, you know, is it? Just, just, you know, feeling the buttocks. And uh, I always dread saying that, you know, especially to my, my, my you know, there's, there's certain people I wouldn't say, what are you feeling in your buttocks right now? That could lead to a whole different conversation. But we'll pause that for another time. And then finally, it's hands. Feet, seat, hands. What are you feeling in your hands right now? Your hands might be in the lap or whatever. Are you feeling anything in the hands? And just those three simple kind of moving the attention from the from the feet to where you're sitting. To the hands just allows you to have that moment where you're moving away from the brain and all the war, to coming back to the body and that just feels nice and it gives you that pause yeah. and suddenly you've broken out of those automatic responses or that whoa woe is me why did that bloody well happen to me again or isn't that person a right bugger doing that sending that email to me and then you go hmm, okay maybe they're just having a bad day or actually, maybe there are some good things happening in my life, but I'm just not seeing them because I've gone down that negativity bias. And mindfulness is great at waking ourselves up to the biases that we have.
1: Yeah, and we have a natural negative bias anyway because... Um,
0: As a part of our survival mechanism.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we're going to go that way. Life generally seems to... Everything around us has a negative bias. Um, and by doing that, you just kind of... You, you step out of it for a moment. You step mm. out of that out of it like, I like the idea of you know I step out of this like, whirlwind in my head just for a moment. I like, I do, I do it. sometimes I'll do really simple things like if I'm feeling stressed um, if I'm walking, I'll recognize the rhythm of my feet. yeah, you know, just yeah. Like yes. really simple or uh, oh I can smell food. Mm. you know like come to your sense. you know you start using
0: yeah literally i love that come to your senses and that is a big thing it is literally and that's the invitation the invitation is to come to your senses to actually get away from the mental world and just actually go oh what am i sensing right now and it is when you're in that moment like a very simple mindful informal mindfulness practice is mindfully making your coffee in the morning the whole thing of how do you brew your coffee, whether it's cafetiere, whether it's instant, whether it's I've got a little Italian stovetop. And it's the whole, you, you smell the coffee, you watch it brew, you add the water, you add the sugar, you feel the warmth of the cup in your hand. And it's just like, oh, that was an invitation to come to, to, in, from doing mode into being mode to be there and engage with it. And then that it's like you said, you mentally shift gear. You move from that doing mode, which is this constant. <laughs> so that you shift gear into something else which is completely different. And it's just that moment that you're there and you're engaging. And when you can start to make those shifts more often, even if just for a few minutes every day, you get that better balance. You get that better... My friend who's a mechanic is just outside absolutely hammering. I don't know what, out of an engine. So, <laughs> so I've just closed the window over.
1: Now, before. I've lost sound again. I've lost your sound. Sounds gone. No sound. You must have banged something. So, so we just had uh, yeah, we lost you there for a minute. Um, well I I think what I'd like to come back in with is uh you said about judgments. Is that right? Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes.
1: Cause that's an interesting one and an important one, I think, that I don't want to miss.
0: Oh, I think it's one of you know, kabat in and his you know, he says it's mindfulness is that is that awareness. And in fact, when I was teaching uh mindfulness in Italy, I got to I got to teach. I got to teach a pilot of a four-week mindfulness course at the Ministry of Education in Italy last year, mm-hmm. and it was so interesting um, translating Ita- um, mindfulness and the concept into another language. In Italian, it's called consapevolezza, which literally means awareness. Or they just used the, they just pinched the English term mindfulness. But I was talking about what are the three defining bits of mindfulness according to John Kabat-Zinn, and he said, you know, it's it's what is our intention behind it that we have an intention so our intention is to be fully here in this moment and our intention informs our where we place our attention it is that we can only be in the present moment and that finally it is to to, to experience everything in as non-judgmental a way as we can and the reason big is you know you were talking about our negativity bias we're biased towards Negative information. This is why newspapers sell Because negative information could be a threat to our existence and therefore we're predisposed to pick out negative Negative information in case it could be a threat to us Now we live generally in much safer times even with coronavirus We live in much safer times than prehistoric people did when there were saber-toothed tigers roaming around the horizon to eat them But that's where that bit of the brain comes from and so All of the sensory information that we receive, we have to make split-second judgments. Boom, 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 boom. Is this bit of information I'm receiving now a threat to me or not? Is it okay? What do I think? Am I okay with this am I not? It makes us judge everything. The problem is once we start judging all the information, all the situations going on around us, we start to spin out a story in our minds that could be true, but it could be an absolute load of baloney, but actually our fear is fueling and moving away from judging is one of the key dispositions or attitudes we're trying to focus and develop throughout a mindfulness course and it's fundamental because when we move away from judgment, we start we start to move away from straight away is this a good thing or a bad thing am I okay with this or not and you just allow yourself to be when you allow yourself to be you're moving away from doing mode doing doing is judging is a form of doing yeah. that's not to say that when you have your moment to pause and go what's going on here a minute you know using that analogy that i gave earlier about what we do around week four of the course around sounds and thoughts and the analogy of the mate walking down the street you wave at them they ignore you they walk they they carry on past and you're kind of like you spin out a story what have i done wrong they don't like me oh no and you start to spin out the story, and there's all this judgment about whether it's right or wrong, or I don't like and it can spin out all manner of nonsense that's not helpful. When you start to come away from judgment, you actually start to be able to be calmer. You stop judging situations and and then you just say, Well, this situation is just it just is. You know, coronavirus, everything that we've been going through recently, it is. Look, okay, yeah, let's be honest, it's not it's not been it's not been easy, it's generally not a good thing. But if I'm always going on about how awful it is and whatever, and always judging and coming out of all these judgments about my response to it and, and judging it and judging other people's reactions to it, all it does is keep the mental work going on. And from a mental health perspective, this ain't much good. It's not helping anyone. And there is a time and a place when we might want to have, you know, we might want to say, should politicians have put us into lockdown earlier and whatever. But a better mental health response is, okay. well, let's pause on that. We'll have that discussion another time. But for looking after me right now, why don't I move away from judgment and just move to being in this moment and just say, what is the calmest, wisest, most skillful thing for me to do in this moment to look after myself and to look after my loved ones and the people around me? And when you move away from judgment, you move to that calmer, nicer, nicer way of being. And then you're nicer to yourself. You stop judging and being so harsh on yourself. And then, I bet you're Boston Dolly, you're less harsh and less judgmental on other people. So it becomes a virtuous thing. when you, And then you start to have a nicer monologue. You look up in the morning and you you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and rather than going... Oh Christ! Look at me. What the hell is going on? Which sometimes I do. Rarely nowadays, thankfully, unless I've had a big drinking session, um, and and start to start to be kinder to myself. And when I'm kinder to myself, I might be kinder to other people. I might look look around other people who might be a bit short with me. Uh, not that people go around and generally go around and be short to me, but you know, sometimes when you're in your shop at the moment, people there's a lot of fear out there. And that can fuel other people's fear. So I always try, as best you can, even when you're wearing a mask, to smile, to be okay, and to know if other people are feeling fear, I'm not going to judge them for that. That's they're going through what they're going through, and I'm not judging them for it.
1: Yeah.
0: And therefore, I have less of, a, less of a story about, oh, all things are rubbish and whatever. I just move to a much more neutral way of just saying, I'm okay, I'm dealing with my crap, they're dealing with theirs, we can all kind of just about get by with a mess of help from each other.
1: Yeah, you know what? I so, so agree with all of what you just said. Uh, you know, like, it's so easy to wind yourself up with judging everyone else. Why are they doing that? What's going on there? And the narrative that we tell ourselves, you know, you said like the internal monologue, we tell ourselves so many things. And the even about, you know, even, you know, say depression is about the past, and you kind of you tell yourself a story about your past and your upbringing and all these things. And um, when you're more mindful about it, you start to question it sometimes and think, and I've certainly done that, you know, you're like, maybe that's not true. You know, like, this is just what I'm telling myself because actually it's only my point of view. You know, you start breaking things down and then you think, well, if it's not true, then why am I getting bothered about it? You know, I like found oh, so many of those techniques uh, and that idea of not judging everything. You know, all right, all right, I feel bad, but I'm not going to start. If I start thinking about it, then I'll create another monologue, which is probably not true. You know, yeah. I like, just oh, actually I've just let myself off this one. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like yeah, just yeah, into that position, and you're like, "Well, I'll let myself off, and I'll let them off as well." You know what
0: exactly. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, completely that, and it, it does. It stops. It's actually not, when you're nicer to yourself. I bet your bottom pound sterling. You're 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 nicer to other people. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so.
0: And a lot of what goes wrong, a lot of what goes wrong in in the world, actually comes from people's own own self-loathing and own issues than other people. Other people might trigger stuff in us, but if we don't do the work on ourselves, then we can't always blame other people. You know, look, there's going to be other people in this world that are going to wind us up. That's for sure. But if we're okay with ourselves, and trying to be the the best to use that best version of ourselves, don't like using that much, but I think you kind of get where I'm coming from. Um, It means that when other it means we don't get dragged into other people's nonsense and other people's stories and other people's games and whatever.
1: I, I often put it in terms of, uh, uh, um, if you can let go of your ego, you know, like, ego, yes, completely. You know, ego is, uh, someone says something, uh, and then you get angry. It's really very rarely about the other person. It's about you feeling like, you know, you not being confident and you not, and all these things about you. And after a while, when you do these kind of practices, I think you start letting go of the ego a bit uh, and life just gets so much better. Your ego mm. is constantly pulling you back. And I I think, you know, like sometimes you kind of, you think, well, I'm going to give mindfulness a go. Then ego comes involved and it goes, oh, what are you doing that shit for? You know, and then you end up giving up. And it is, it's all ego. And like, uh, that's a Buddhist thing, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. I was going to say, and you know, and in a way, it's, it's a really good, good point. So I know I'm conscious that we're coming up to the the end of our session. And I think it's nice as we bring it all together to actually look back that a lot of, you know the mindfulness practice that we have today has come out of those that Eastern spirituality, those Eastern religions, and there are some people who are okay with that and really into that, and other people who are a bit anti it. And and but I kind of think we, we, we should give give credence from where it's come, and for those people that are spiritual, they can explore that side. But a lot of the, you know the, those tenets of that kind of non ego is it, it, a very interesting one to me. You know, my degree is in philosophy, so I've always chewed those bigger questions in life. Yeah. But for me, you know, so much of what goes on around the ego can be so detrimental to the good good things. And you just have to look at certain leaders, (laughs) certain leaders in the world who you can see there is such a huge ego that it's all about them. It's not about what's the best thing for society, what's the best thing. And when you're in an egoless state, you you start to see that we're all connected, all of us all of us humans are connected. You know, there are six billion of us, isn't there, more or less on this planet, I think. There's a lot of us, and we're all out there, and, you know, we're all having to find ways to, to get on together to survive
1: yeah, and to be
0: and okay. Of yeah, and we're connected. we're connected to nature. This is the other big thing. I think what yeah. coronavirus has taught me from this angle is that actually everything is interconnected. You know, if we keep pushing the boundaries of kind of the planet and the environment, um... And then we push these things to where maybe some, some bat dropped something into a wet market where some animal then had some virus that then met into the human chain, food chain. And it's got, everything is interconnected. So when we start to actually let go of ego and say, you know, what's the best thing for everyone? What, what, what's the best thing for me? What's the best thing for everyone? And to be a bit less selfish, because some of the critiques of mindfulness is that it's very, it can be very self-centered. And I can kind of see why people who might not fully understand mindfulness may think that, but I think a lot of it, towards the end, we do this lovely practice at the end of a six or eight week course called the befriending practice. And, it's, and you start off directing it to a loved one and you say, may they be happy and healthy, may they be free from suffering, may they have ease of being. And you, you, you say you send those intentions to someone you love, then to yourself. And sometimes people are almost sometimes in tears because they'd never say these bloody words to themselves. Then you say it to someone who might be neutral, someone you might not get on with, and then you say it out to all living things. And everyone goes, oh, that's a bit hippie. And I was going, yeah, but maybe it is. I don't care if it is because it leaves me with such a warm glow of the interconnectedness of everything. And, and it, it when I come out of that doing that practice, I do, I just feel this, we're all in this together and we've got to find a, a the best ways we can of, letting go of me 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 and what's good for all of us together because if we don't think about that we, we don't survive as a planet quite frankly
1: because i see you know like buddhism and mindfulness in many ways it's uh, taking responsibility for yourself you know like you're taking responsibility for your your own um mental health and your well-being and and I see that as not being selfish. I see it as more like the opposite, really. You're taking responsibility. You know, that's not a selfish act. It's weird because uh, I, I come back to it all the time. As, um, you know, like, they're the fundamental truths because a lot of bits, things like the we've been talking about are very similar, say, like, in 12 Steps of AA. Yeah, they're very similar in a lot of things. Um, which just confirms to me that this is the way forward, you know. um, A lot of religion is is not about taking responsibility, it's about putting responsibility elsewhere, but yet that's more valid, you know. I I just think we're we're getting it the wrong way around. We need to come back to more of these basic truths because I've learned over the last two years that this is the way forward. This is what's made me better.
0: Well, it, I, I like what you're saying there. A, a friend of mine, um, she's a yoga teacher, um, Lynette, and she's, she's just brilliant. She's one of those people i met at university, and she's just one of those people who you can just see. She just emanates out love and goodness to everyone. And you, you're just in the pre- – you know when you meet the presence of those people and they just leave you feeling with a warm glow. Yeah, yeah. And she subscribes to – uh, it's called Integral Yoga, and, and their motto is, um, truth is one, paths are many and there's so much discord because people people get into such strict interpretations and they they sign up to all these certain you must do it this way if you don't do it this way it's then 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 you can't be this that or the other and and yet there are a lot of decent tenets of how we should be to ourselves to our neighbor to the planet to everything that are common to nearly all world religions and i think that's I know we're getting into a different field there, and that's a different podcast, a different, another time. But I, I think there is, and I, I, and I think it is just that sense of, I, I suppose mindfulness has really helped me just feel better connected, that I have a better understanding of myself. I can manage myself better, so I can see when I might, my mood might be dipping, yeah. and I might just go, oh, I had a crap night, sleep last night. That's fine. I'm just going to do a bit of self-care. I'm going to have an early night. Or I might say to my mates, can I meet you another night when I'm a bit less frazzled? And then, you know, if I can manage myself better, then I can help manage how, what the, the Ashley that I give out to the rest of the world. And, therefore, and then that, you know, that other people then might also be able to, you know, through learning techniques like mindfulness, might be able to manage themselves better. And also, if I can present myself as a, a better, calmer Ashley, then it means I'm not going to be going, I slept four hours last night and it's a crap day, what's wrong with you? You know, those kind of situations. And yeah. so it, it is, it is both managing oneself and then helping everyone by putting forward the best version of me. I've used that several times now and I never, ever use it, apart from on today's podcast, to be honest.
1: But it, yeah, it, but it's also, uh, like, if you're not, if you're out in the world and you're not judging people, that's a good thing, isn't it? But like, uh, no matter what, if you're if that if you're in a position like a non-judgmental position, then then it's it's gonna be good anyway. And that
0: and that and you know what? It's a, we're all a work in progress, and for, no matter how seasoned we are in terms of mindfulness practitioners, and I've been practicing it now for for seven years since 2013. I know that I'm going to have my my own internal biases, uh, and I know I'm going to have my days where I might rant because I've only had four hours sleep. Although my sleep is a heck of a lot better since I've been practicing mindfulness. But I just I'm kind of going with a sense of gentleness and go, it's okay to be here right now. And and that's fine. And to know that we all have to keep the practice going. You know, you, you keep doing the practice. It's like you've got to keep going to the gym to keep toned up. And if you don't, like, you know, well, four months of not going to the to the gym during coronavirus uh meant that when i went this week going back to the gym was a bit of a, sh- a shock yeah but it but i know i have to go to the gym just so i've got to do my mindfulness practice because yeah
1: yeah i always and, say like i'm always working on my mental health like yes every day exactly. I'm on my mental health because the minute i don't it's the minute yeah. i can heal. and then i'm like oh i forgot <laughs> yes oh, i just got sucked into this pit of shit yes and then and, and know, it's
0: sometimes oh I, yeah, it's hard. And sometimes when you're at the most manic, you kind of think, "No, no, I haven't got time for I Haven't got time to do that." And we say mindfulness. That's that's the ringing of what we call a mindful bell that should say to you, "Actually, wait a minute. You need five, ten minutes out now yeah, to give yourself good. that mental space because then you'll go in in a much better situation, actually better equipped to deal with the rubbish you're dealing with."
1: Yeah. So, uh,
0: so yes.
1: Well, Ashley, you uh, you've been one of those people, like the yoga person. You've just brightened my day because I've really. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, 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 what you because, as I say, I've never been done specifically mindfulness. I've had lots of different therapists, um, but yeah, yet, yet uh, so much of it is clearly really common to everyone. Oh, absolutely,
0: absolutely.
1: And, um, and for me, that's really nice to hear because it uh, it just reinforces everything to me. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, I'm doing all right, and, and and I work on all of that stuff all day every day, and it, mm. and it works. All I can say is it works. You know, yeah. the skeptics out there, it's about you know if you if you're really struggling and things are crap, why would you not try anything? And and I
0: think it's important to say there's those two bits that there's that more formal practice, which is maybe focusing on breath or sensations of the body and so on and so forth. And that takes time to master. And I know some people have done, they said, I can't do it. I just cannot do it. And I said, take the pressure of yourself. Just move away from saying you can't do it and go in the sense of openness and just give it a go. And I said, but by the way, I hate to disappoint you, but I think you're already doing some mindfulness. And they're like going, how? What do you mean? I said, well, you're quite into baking. And I think when you're into baking, you've got to be very focused that you measure out all the ingredients, you follow the instructions, a bit like painting, playing music, listening to music. All of those are informal ways. And then people go, oh, but I say to them, it's all of those three things together It is learning uh, the psychology, the theory behind it. And then doing the everyday mindfulness, making a cup of tea in a mindful way, et cetera, showering in the morning, being really present to that, and then doing informal practice. So my invitation is to people to go out there, give it a go. There's loads of good courses. There's loads of snippet videos. There's loads of good apps out there. I've got my own site, Mindfulness and Coaching with Ashley Lodge. You know, So there's, there's lots of stuff out there. You know, Give it a go if you haven't already. Look for courses in your area. The gold standard is normally an eight-week course for two hours a week, but there's lots of adaptations of it. Like the one I teach is normally six hours, one hour a week with daily practice of 10 minutes. So give it a go. What are you got to lose? What are you got to lose? The only caveat I'd say is if you're going through any big kind of uh, therapeutic intervention, if you're doing some really deep work with a therapist, always talk to them about it first, because what we all say is for some people who are, who've had PTSD or have been going through really quite intense therapy to so maybe complete that course or work with your clinician to know that it's the right time to do it. Yeah. So always do it in conjunction with your, your doctor or your therapist, because stuff can come out from it. So from a kind of a safeguarding and duty of care, but it's always do it in conjunction and talk to people first, maybe to just make sure it could be, it's the right thing for you. Yeah. Is what I would say.
1: Well, that's it, Ashley. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed that, and I, I I've, it was because as I say, we touched on it, we've never really gone into it. And I feel like we've well, really gone into it there. We've got a real, yeah. you know, people are going to hear it and have a really good understanding.
0: Good, good, good. I hope it's quite funny. You know, when you get going, and I'm there talking about stuff, and I'm going, oh my god, I'm talking a lot here. Is, is am I making it all structured and making sense of it, and whatever? So, um, yeah. hopefully. Hopefully, it should be it, it should be uh, should be good. Thank you so much for for having me. It's been a real uh, real honour and pleasure to uh, to appear on this. So a massive thank, thank you to you, you.
1: Thank you. It's that it's been great, man. I've really enjoyed it. So I can't thank you enough, actually. Really to finally get to kind of speak to you. And and um, I, I don't know, like I've learned a lot. I've cool.
0: Yeah, and, and look, you know, and thank you for having this podcast because I think it is such an important thing you know i work on a big mental health and well-being kind of committee at work and you know we talk about all the different groups and i think men's mental health i think it's great that we've got podcasts like this because men are men aren't so good at talking about mental health i think that's we're seeing a real sea change now but it's so good to have podcasts like this that we can you know access and help more people kind of more men uh you know Talk about these things and see all the different options and different skills and techniques that are out there to help us manage our mental health. So, a big thank you to you for all the good work you do.
1: Oh, cheers, Ashley. I'm going to say bye bye. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. Cheers, Ben. Take care.
0: Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye
1: bye.